0: Welcome to our Saturday simulcast. Special guest today, Mike DeCoursey from uh, the Sporting News, Fox Sports, and also the BTN Bracketologist. And of course, Mike Berghoff, the Chair of the Board of Trustees, and our own Brian Newbert will join us in in the first segment as well as we look ahead to Purdue Rutgers on Sunday. So enjoy the show. And thanks to our sponsors. Uh, The sponsor, of course, the Purdue Union Club Hotel, the Boiler Up Bar, the uh, 811 Bistro, Leap's Coffee, everything they do for us, we're grateful for. Don't forget, you can also vote for them in the Marriott Bonvoy contest as a top hotel. So we appreciate that very much, and we'll. All right, we lead off the show with Brian Newbert, and uh, Brian has been uh, inundated with Purdue men's basketball and the Boilermakers' number two team in the country, as most of you know, fresh off of a romp over Michigan and headed to ryan's neighborhood so to speak rutgers for a match for the term natural habitat (laughs) okay your natural habitat well in jersey that's the way it works right uh what is it dylan says in jersey everything's legal as long as you don't get caught (laughs) so uh one of my favorite songs but that's another thing um All right, Brian, Uh, obviously Rutgers and and the narrative is, which is maybe somewhat silly, but we all, at least for me, I look at, well, they've lost three in a row there. They've lost uh, Purdue and it has nothing to do with this year. Rutgers is probably not quite the same team. And it it was uh, certainly when they beat Purdue on Harper's half court shot, or even when Rutgers beat Purdue in West Lafayette last year. But what do you expect? I mean, Purdue has shown, Well, on the road at Iowa and Indiana and kind of taking care of business with teams that were desperate for wins, Indiana and Iowa. What do you – and Rutgers probably in the same boat. If they want to get into the NCAA conversation, a win over the number two team, not the number one team, uh, might be a good thing. But what do you expect to see on Sunday?
1: I would expect Purdue to take this one a little bit personal. Um, Yeah. I thought Purdue took the game at Indiana personal. And, uh, you know, they kind of owe Rutgers one. I don't know if any of that external stuff really matters in the locker room, but I just think Purdue's history with Rutgers here, uh, losing a couple in Jersey Mike Arena, Jersey Mike's Arena. Sorry, there's it's a possessive. Um,
0: yes. It's his arena. <laughs> it's
1: his arena. It, it is in fact his <laughs> arena. Um, oil and vinegar everywhere. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I would expect Purdue to take this one personal and kind of go into Rutgers with its eyes wide open to the reasons why Purdue has struggled with Rutgers. Rutgers has, you know, been tougher. They have played really hard. They have made it hard for Purdue to execute offensively. They have blunted some of Purdue's strengths on the glass, you know, things like that. And um, I just think Purdue's primed to take on a very different Rutgers team. You know, part of what's made Rutgers good over the years under Steve Peichel is they've had continuity in their program. They've played a certain way, and they've they've always kind of played like an underdog. And, you know, yeah. I, I think a lot of those things are kind of off the table now. Uh, that longstanding core of Ron Harper Jr., Geo Baker, Paul Mulcahy, and um, Caleb McConnell, it's all gone now. Uh, those are the guys that Purdue struggled with to a certain extent. They're playing the same way. They're tough. They're pretty good defensively, but they really struggle from an offensive perspective. And I think, you know, Purdue Purdue could probably win this game relatively easily by scoring 70 points. And Purdue's on a run of 80, 80, 80, 80, 80 80-something on the road here. And I just think that it would be really, uh, a lot would have to go sideways for Purdue here to not be able to um, finally get out of the rack with a win. Um, That said, funny things happen. If Purdue turns the ball over, if Purdue just doesn't make a shot, if, if Zach Eady has a Really bad game against Cliff Amore. Uh, if if Rutgers gets a lot of second chances and has an atypical offensive game, um, you never know what's going to happen. But a lot would have to happen, I think, for this Rutgers team, which has really not been very good this year, um, to upset Purdue again. Um, but I, I would I, again, I would expect Purdue to come out. Take this personal, understand, here's why we've struggled r- with Rutgers and do everything in its power led by the seniors to um, get that win in the last arena. They need a win in to have run the table in the conference. Yeah, Maury is
0: really good inside. You're right. The, and But he is running into Zach Eady. I mean, well, it, he, yeah, that presents some interesting challenges. Well, he dunks and rebounds. Standpoint. He yeah. dunks and
1: rebounds. And that's that's – that's scary for a lot of people, but what's scary from a Purdue matchups perspective is guys who can play away from the basket, do some things against Zach Eady. You know, uh, take advantage of him on the perimeter. That's not Cliff. Uh, Cliff is a guy who, um, you know, is going to get on the offensive glass. Who's going to catch lobs? Who's going to finish uh, when things break down off the dribble? Um, I just think having a big body on him and Purdue being able to throw a lot of big bodies at him is going to, you know, offset some of his strengths. Uh, I could be wrong, but I just don't know if he's got enough game to really be the sort of problem for Purdue that Rutgers has always had in its backcourt. Uh, so, uh, I, again, I could be wrong, but I just think he's not necessarily the sort of big that can give Purdue, uh, problems like the kid at Nebraska, Rink, Mast, whatever his name is, uh, (laughs) did, um, yeah, also dominated Ohio State, so I, I shouldn't talk about him like uh no, he's he's really like a, good. Like he was a fluke. Um but no, I I I just think Purdue should have a big advantage there. Um, you know, Amore's length um and athleticism is gonna get a, get him a couple blocks. Uh I, I think he kind of that's kind of baked into this. Uh he's not gonna be the easiest guy for Zach Eady to to finish over. Um but even if they offset one another, uh, which is a big ask from Rutgers' perspective, Purdue's you know still got more weapons here, uh, than Rutgers does. So
0: the Rack also or Jersey Mike's apostrophe s. Um, it is a one o'clock game on Sunday. I know that it's the number two team com- coming into the into the integer of the mics, but uh, maybe a little more subdued environment uh, than it was at least a couple of years ago, which I think was a Thursday night. Obviously, Purdue was number one. That's a whole different deal, but uh, a little bit different deal, I should say. But how much that will matter, one uh, never knows. Uh, you've written and talked about the emergence, and I don't know if it's the emergence, but maybe the upgrade of Lance Jones. And, Jan- and Jones is, uh, you've talked about him being a complimentary guy. Coming in, or that was the expectation. He's gotten to be a lot more than that. Twenty-four point effort against Iowa, that being one case in point. But he has played very, very well uh, in a number of different ways. Uh, how does that change Purdue's dynamic moving forward? I mean, he is just—he's uh, doing a lot of things that uh, help you win games.
1: Well, he's obviously completed them in terms of what he's given them uh, in transition. You know, b- being able to change paces for Purdue offensively. Obviously been a really important defensive player, Purdue's best perimeter defender, uh, probably by a wide margin. His energy, his personality, I think, have really, really been sense for Purdue, um, for lack of a better term. I've written before that, and I don't know if there's any, any basis to this in reality, but this season kind of profiled for Purdue like a season-long tension headache because of all the pressure yeah. that's going to be on them all year. Yeah, and I think bringing in a guy like Lance Jones with his enthusiasm, the joy he carries himself with, I think has been a real, a real plus in that regard. Now, I could be completely wrong about that dynamic actually mattering, but I think he's huge from a team chemistry perspective. The fact that he's scoring the way he's scoring—had you told me back in like August uh, he's going to be your second-leading scorer, I would have thought something went terribly awry, yeah. and that. He, you know, Braden Smith or Fletcher Lawyer turned into a pumpkin or something like that, and they've been really good. He's just been really good too. Now, the volume of the th- of the threes he's taking is a little bit surprising, and I-, I think there's still probably a little bit of streakiness in there. But every time mm-hmm. I say that, he comes out and makes yeah. five threes in the next game. So, yeah. you know, perhaps I-, I ought to acknowledge what is actually <laughs> happening and not what I I figured <laughs> would happen. But um, yeah. He, uh, he had said last year at SIU that he took too many threes, and uh, that's kind of what I'm going based on, is that he, he thought at SIU last year he settled for too many threes, so I guess in these games when he takes like nine threes, I, I I guess I kind of let his words guide my opinion, but he's making shots, he's making timely shots, he can create shots for himself, I think his... His decision making is really important from here on out because he's going to have opportunities to drive past people, break down defenses, you know, things like that. I, I think the early shot clock threes, the 40 footers are pretty much out of his system.
0: The shots from Crawfordsville, right? Yeah. 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 I mean,
1: I, I think during the non-conference season, you saw a guy yeah. who was settling in from being one type of player to being another type of player. But the mentality that comes with being that type of player is helping him in this different role as this type of player, if that makes any sense. I think he's coexisting fairly well with Zach Eady. I think he's fair, coexisting fairly well with Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith. Uh, those guys are very inclusive of him. Um, they uh, This is a team that makes the extra pass, a, a, a very unselfish, very good ball movement team. And I think that's probably... Been fun for him. Uh, you know, he's always had the ball in his hands, I think. And now he's he's showing that he can do something different. So me thinking he might not have been ideally suited for what he's doing now is probably rooted in the fact he's never done this before. I mean yeah. he's never played with a Zach before nor have most players before they get to college. Uh he he's always been a primary ball handler, not a secondary ball handler, but he's really, really fit in very well uh in that regard and I think this Purdue team pretty much has it all, and I I don't that that certainly wouldn't be the case. Warren for Lance Jones because his speed, his athleticism, his defense, his ability to create for himself has added another layer to this team that uh, you know really has gone along well with the kind of the big three of uh, or the big four, I should say, of Zach Eady, Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, and the combination of Trey Kaufman and, and Mason Gillis.
0: One of the things about Lance Jones passing the ball that got a little bit of viral attention in a TikTok Twitter moment uh, and Miles Colvin's disdain, whether it was a two-second disdain for not getting the ball passed to him, there's dynamics to to that that we may have no idea about. But just talk about what, on the surface what you see with that and and, uh, uh, what that could mean if anything or nothing moving forward to this basketball team.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if it was, it was it was disdain as much as disappointment. He might have felt like he had an opportunity to do something uh in that situation probably uh reacted a little harshly in the moment. He's young. He's a freshman. Yeah. This is not a situation he's used to. Uh it it it's hard, but you think Mason Gillis wouldn't want to be playing more and get more shots yeah. too? Uh that's the nature of this team. Uh, is that People have to have to sacrifice. There's a lot of college teams out there and a lot of circumstances at Purdue that had they been in place now, he would be playing a really prominent role for Purdue, which isn't to say he's not, he hasn't at times this season. I mean, he's helped Purdue win games. Um, But he's, he's not, this just isn't his time. Next year, you know, things change profoundly for him. He's going to be one, he's, I would have to think he would be one of Purdue's kind of go-to scorers uh, on a team that'll still have a bunch of them. Um, But he just kind of has to wait his turn. He has to learn winning has to be important to him. And I, I don't have any reason to think that's not the case, but that's the important overlying element to this team for everybody who's not getting what they've probably capable of carrying or have earned in the case of three upperclassmen coming off the bench who started X number of games for Purdue and helped Purdue win a hell of a lot of games is that winning has to be important to them. And uh, as I said before, I have no reason to think that winning is not important to Miles Colvin, but I think he'd probably prefer to be winning while also playing a pretty prominent role. This is a guy who has been, you know, the best player on every team he's ever played for uh, with the exception of maybe the USA basketball thing that this past summer, his time will come. He just, it's just kind of hard to be patient when you're young and you're used to being the star. Um, but at the the biggest thing is that his his time will come. In the meantime, that doesn't mean there's not going to be disappointment. There's not going to be frustration. That's part of the process.
0: Uh, I want to throw a football question at you uh, just because you understand the landscape of, uh, of the big picture of college sports but also i want to ask you just about jim harbaugh and and, and that move it has nothing to do with purdue <laughs> but and and you only get two minutes to answer but we'll talk about just talk about that and and, and it, it doesn't have any any bearing really on purdue even Purdue football i don't think uh from this standpoint but what did you what do you take of all that is that were you one that would not surprised that this he was he was going all along um uh well, okay, the clock's going. Okay, there you go. Thank you. No, I uh, much the appreciated. Funny, the Fun, funny thing player.
1: about the funny thing about coaches is once they're in the NFL, they always want to go back. Um, yeah, you don't get that out of your blood, and I think him losing the Super Bowl to his brother, I think, is probably always eating at him. Um, the fact that this was he would have been gone last year, I, I think, had the Vikings actually hired him. Um. I think he was he was kind of primed for this, and you know what? This is going to sound stupid, but if if I'm Michigan, this guy has has been a big winner, and that's all that matters. But you might be better off without some of the drama. I mean, this is a guy who nonsense always follows him, and you know it, it, that stuff in the NFL will fly if you're winning. And at the same time, I don't know if he'll cause the same drama. In the NFL, that he he did um, at Michigan, Michigan. Yeah. but you know Michigan is a really proud place, as you you might have noticed. And <laughs> for for them to have been part of some of the embarrassing headlines and the embarrassing brouhahas they were this year, um, now they're all biased, so that that they, they wouldn't call it embarrassing; they would call it a witch hunt or something. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, Michigan in itself should should carry on. It's one of the best jobs in college football. It's one of the most advantaged jobs in college football. Um, So they'll be fine. Um, What Harbaugh did obviously changed things pretty dramatically from his predecessors, um, but he didn't do anything out of the ordinary. I mean, he didn't do anything revolutionary in terms of football. They, what they did was they played defense, they tackled, they ran the ball and they played good, fundamentally sound football. And, they got players, and you should always be able to do that at Michigan's. So, are we out of time? My bad. Oh, you're, you're out, out of time. <laughs> um, So, it, it didn't surprise me one bit that he left. And yeah. what what opens my eyes a little bit is the profound sadness at Michigan when everybody knew this was coming. And, like, yeah. how many times can you be the butt of jokes and not let that wear? wear th- wear thin on you he's he's obviously getting out before whatever punishment might come down uh is coming down um i don't think they were ever keeping him i understand they tried to offer him the the moon and the stars to stay but you know i I think he wants a super bowl yeah
0: yeah well said and pretty succinctly said all right we appreciate your time safe travels to uh your natural habitat and we'll look forward to your coverage on sunday Afternoon, uh, that tip one o'clock a matinee and at uh, Jersey Mike's. Is it then, one o'clock? I thought it was two o'clock. there's a two. I may, I may have my it time screwed up. You'll get there on time. I, they don't have any games at one o'clock. Maybe it is at two. I don't know why I had it down at one. But either way, we'll check your local listings and uh, you'll find the, game, the the time for this game. All right, we'll be back in a couple minutes with our 1P, segment. Right. Segment two will be Mike Decorsey, and of course, Mike Bergoff joins us in segment three. And we'll, we'll enjoy their perspectives as well. Ryan, thanks again, and uh, safe travels. With Mike DeCourcy, next segment here. And uh, Mike, uh, always gracious enough to join our show at least once a year. We try not to bug the heck out of him. He is a busy man. Uh, Fox Sports, BTN studio analyst, sporting news uh, uh on and on, he has been a contributor to uh, basketball for a long time and uh, one of the best at, at it, to say the least. All right, I want to talk to Mike. You know, Purdue is, is not really the flavor of the month because it's been really good this year and, and last year. But to talk about – let's start with the Boilermakers and just your impressions. Uh, an impressive win over Michigan, a Michigan team that's in in very desperate straits. Uh, And yet Purdue's got to go to that uh, nemesis Rutgers uh, on, on Sunday, a team that's beaten them the last three times they've been to Piscataway.
2: It's a hard place to play. Uh, And, and Rutgers is a hard team to play against. Uh, That's something that, that Steve Peichel has cultivated, Uh, making it uh, difficult to play against them is, is where they begin the game. And then they try to progress from there on offense. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And, I I think that one of the best ways to combat that is to make yourself hard to play against. Yeah. And for Purdue, that's not, you know, their style is not totally gritty. Let's be sandpaper, but they'll, they'll guard you obviously. And, and, and Zach's ability in the middle uh, makes, makes it hard to go against them and to get the shots you ordinarily want to get. Uh, I, I do think that there is a greater disparity at at their at their core at their base. There's a greater disparity between this Purdue team and this Rutgers team yeah. than has existed for a while. Uh, this this Rutgers team is in development. Uh, it's a shame for Cliff Amore because yeah. uh, he, he's having a great year and they struggle to score around him sometimes. Uh, sometimes they struggle to get them him the ball, and when he when they're able to get him the ball in good situations, he's as good a finisher as there is in college basketball. Uh, it'll be it, it'll be an interesting matchup between Cliff and and Zach. Certainly, at, at the very least, the, the game will be appealing for that reason. Yeah, Sunday uh, uh, matinee, so to speak, in in New Jersey. When you look
0: at Purdue and and, and Zach Edy, even you were around when Ralph Sampson won back-to-back uh, college players of the year. Help me put the right words about what Zach Edie is and really in the history of college basketball, not just this season. He's been unbelievable.
2: Well, he has. And and uh, you know, as, as long as he remains healthy, yeah, that's really the only component, the only the variable between now and and March. Uh, he will be the national player of the year. I think R.J. Davis is having a great year at Carolina, uh, but I don't think he's rising to to the level of what Zach is doing. And I think I, I think this is the full list of the Oscar Robertson Trophy, which is the oldest trophy other than the Sporting News Player of the Year. So yeah. I'm going to so I'm going to use the Oscar Robertson Trophy because it goes back to Oscar. Uh, the the list of players who've won multiple Players of the Year award with with the with the Oscar Robertson Trophy, which is presented by the United States Basketball Writers Association, I believe is Oscar, Jerry Lucas, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Pete Maravich, Bill Walton, and Ralph Sampson. I believe yeah. that's the entire list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't need I don't even know if I need to expound beyond that. Yeah. To put your to put your achievement on the level with those gentlemen is amazing. And I, I do one of the things that I talked about on BTN was that there's a tendency because of the, the Zach being seven foot four, 285, 290, whatever the number mm-hmm. is. Uh, it, it, according to Matt, he, it, it depends on how many uh, burgers he had there the, the day before. Sushi. He, sushi, sushi. Sushi. Yes. Yeah. Because of his size, people think it's easy. And I just challenge them to look around college basketball. I don't want to single anybody out, but there are other seven, four players out there. There are seven, five players out there who aren't a fraction of what Zach is. It's not just being tall. It's all the work that goes into being more dynamic, so dynamic now relative to where he was his first three years of college basketball that now the NBA finally looks at him and says, wait a second. We might be able to do something with this guy. And Jonathan Gavoni, the, the terrific draft analyst for ESPN, puts him in the lottery now. I don't think anybody thought that that no, was a possibility yeah. before. Uh, so that goes and that all goes to the work he's done. Because I mean, although he's he's a you know, he's a great finisher uh, and he's a great uh, uh, he, he, he's a terrific free throw shooter and he can protect the rim. That was all pretty much in place a year ago. What wasn't in place was the work he did on his body to become more mobile, better able to defend on the perimeter, not a problem in screen defense, but at times a weapon. Uh, all of those things were from the considerable work he put into the 2023 offseason, and it's reflected on the floor night after night.
0: You've covered this for a long time. There really haven't been many stories more. I mean, there have been a lot of great college basketball stories over the years, but this is really a unique one. I mean, just where he's come from, Matt Painter talks about, you know, he's a he's a youthful basketball player in terms of basketball life. He's only played, what, six, seven years or whatever that is. Put that perspective as well. I mean, it is still an amazing story that Purdue fans probably shouldn't, or or college basketball fans shouldn't take for granted.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to necessarily say that he has to have the same career, but since we've already talked to him in the same sense of <laughs> and pistol and Kareem, I think that we can point out that there's a similarity in his basketball youth to Hakeem Olajuwon. Uh, yeah. When Hakeem came over uh, from Nigeria to the United States, he played relatively little basketball. There's also a similarity to a degree to Joel Embiid. Uh, yep. who uh, who didn't who played some uh, in Africa before he moved here and then when he got to Florida where he played in high school prep school um, he hadn't played much and he didn't make an immediate impact uh, at his prep school and then he comes to KU uh, and is one of the best players in the country before he gets hurt um so there I think there's a similarity there too uh, it, it, it because it, now I don't I, where his size makes a difference is, Like there's not a lot of point guards out there that just picked up the game when they were 15, you know. So obviously the people that we're talking about are big guys, uh, but they also are big guys. The other thing they have in common, they were athletes, just didn't happen to be playing basketball. Uh, They played a lot. uh, Both uh, Embiid and and Akeem played a lot of soccer before they came to the United States. Uh, Akeem played a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we know Zach's history baseball player, a little bit of hockey, and then all of a sudden decides to devote himself uh, to playing uh, basketball. And the results are spectacular.
0: Yeah, they have been absolutely that. All right. Uh, your bracket this week uh, Houston on the rise. Purdue still looks like your overall number one seed. Any scenario? There's always scenarios where Purdue doesn't isn't the number one seed. I get I get that. But the path for Purdue looks uh, looks to be Indianapolis, Detroit, and then hopefully if you're a Purdue fan, Arizona. But to talk about that and just some of the teams, you know, North Carolina's obviously made a huge jump or made a jump. Uh teams to really watch out for Kansas that loss to West Virginia was quite startling, but to talk about some of the teams that you're looking at that uh, uh maybe laying and laying in the weeds a little bit as we enter uh, February.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I think first of all uh, for Purdue, uh, what they have to avoid is what Kansas has done more than once, which is lose to teams on the road that aren't NCAA contenders. I, 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 there is a scenario in which uh, UCF, Central Florida can create a, a NCAA tournament path for itself. It's still a ways away. That's not possible for West Virginia. West Virginia's only path to the NCAA tournament is to win the, win the big 12 World. automatic. Uh, so th- that, and, and for Purdue, you know, their opponent is whoever's on the court that night in themselves, yeah. uh, because if, if they do well in the big 10, as they have over the first relative, the first half of big 10 play, If they do the same things, give or take, and probably give, because I think they're, you know, they don't play in Nebraska on the road and Northwestern on the road. If they do the same things over the second half, the only team that's out there that is a threat to them being where they want to be, uh, specifically Detroit, because they're almost certain to wind up in Indianapolis. They're going to be a one or a two because you look at the three line. I'm working on tomorrow's bracket, I can barely find threes. They're just not there. The, the line between one and two is significant. The line between two and three is precipitous. Uh, So, uh, so they'll, they'll, they'll get Indy, but if they want Detroit too, KU is probably the biggest threat. Uh, It's the only team out there that would half want to be there. They, they uh, they might, you know, they might not make any difference for them to be there or Houston. Uh, So if if Purdue gets its one, it's probably going to Detroit. So that's a good thing. And so it really, like I said, it really just has to focus on itself and and the uh, opponent on that given night. Uh, UConn is probably a one, but they're going to want to be in Boston very badly because it's just a few hours drive. Uh, the one in the West, probably Houston at this point. The competition for that's probably Arizona. Uh, so again, there's really... Purdue's really in a good position geographically right now uh, because they're going, you know, if if they get the one and, and it's up to them in large part, if they get it, then they'll probably get it where they want it, which would be the Midwest.
0: Yeah, I think of that. Uh, you're a logical guy; that makes sense in a sometimes illogical situation, to say the least. But uh, I, I think that's that's true. All right, let's talk a little bit about the psyche of Purdue and and, and what's gone on. You know, obviously the the 16 seed defeat. I think it appears, uh, watching it on a day to day basis, that Purdue has dealt with that well. Matt Painters keep the focus on living in the present. Uh, which is a good idea, uh, and Matt Painter's a smart guy, and, and, and I think you, would, you and I both would agree, pretty excellent basketball oh, coach. But talk about that, though, and just that, that uh, you know, Virginia got it done, I know, and, and back, and back in 2019 over Purdue's dead body, so to speak, but uh, they got it done. What do you see from that standpoint, and as Purdue, Purdue works its way to that, uh, what I think will be the third weekend in March when this thing all starts, How do you, you, how how do you approach that? Do you see Purdue approaching this the right way or they just got to take care of business as they go?
2: You know, I, I, one of the things, when I went to their game against Xavier, uh, which was first or second game of the year, I sensed a little bit of, man, it's a long way to March. And I didn't see in them the, the typical Purdue Uh, there, there felt like uh, that, that, oh, we're going to get these guys, we're at home. Um, And man, you know, do we really want to put it all out there? And and this is not a conscious thing. It's always a subconscious thing. But I've covered college athletics for 40 years. I've seen it in teams time after time. And it's not something I'm condemning. It's something that's natural. It's just how you manage it. And so the, the best thing for them at, at that point what at that point in the year was oh now we got to go to Maui well go ahead and take that attitude on the floor against the teams they had to play out there yeah. you're going home one and two with a win over Chaminade or whatever yeah. you got to play and they did and they and you saw right there oh wow this at their best they're really something and then the same uh, in the Arizona game here in Indy uh, they, they, at their best they uh, they really can bring it and I think that there have been moments so far this season where a little bit of that creeped in and, or maybe just the other team in particular Northwestern Nebraska, understanding what beating Purdue could do for them, yeah. brought everything they had, you know, they, they moved the whole living room onto the floor, you know, they had brought everything they had and Purdue was like, Hey, we're just here to hoop, you know, it's like, and that's not, you know, that's not going to get them through and against a team that sees them as a ticket. Recently, the Indiana game, I never I knew that wasn't going to happen because of what happened a year ago. So you knew they were going to bring their best effort. But I, th- I thought the Iowa game was a breakthrough because Iowa is a team that came into that game no less ambitious than Northwestern and Nebraska, but more desperate because Nebraska already had some good wins under their belt. Uh, uh, Northwestern had the Dayton win. Iowa has a good team and no big wins. And so that was a huge game for them. And as well, Iowa is a team that can get you playing basketball Yeah, and, you know, up and down, having fun. We're all good. And all of a sudden they throw in six threes in the final five minutes and you're, and you lose. And Purdue wasn't having any of that. I thought that was a real statement of intent by the boilers that, okay, yeah, we let a little, a few go, early in the year, but that's not going to happen now. Somebody's going to have to be a really good and be at their absolute best in this league. They're going to, and, and they're going to obviously have to be at home. I don't think the boilers are going to lose at Mackey. So yeah. I, I I think those three things all have to be in place for, for the boilers to lose at full strength. And let, you know, let's hope that, that, that this team gets to play the whole year at full strength because, uh, the last thing that we would want to see after what's happened in the last couple of years is them not getting to take their best shot at erasing that.
0: No question. Braden Smith has been really good. Uh, guard play, there's been a lot, obviously, a lot of talk about the the being one year older for Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith. But talk about those guys and uh, and what they mean. Obviously, you know more than anyone that uh, the NCA really comes down, a lot of it comes down to great guard play. Purdue seems to have enough of that. But how do you view that at this
2: point? They yeah, have more than enough, Alan. When you got a guy like Miles yeah. Colvin that can't get on the floor, <laughs> And I think Miles's entry has been good for Lance, uh, for Lance Jones, and for Fletcher Lawyer. I think his his presence is is a motivator because they know, like that, if that if Miles got his shot, he might not (laughs) ever give it back. Uh, He's really talented. We saw in the Xavier game, the Alabama game, what he was capable of delivering uh, when it was necessary to help them win. I'm not convinced. That he might not yet still, even at, with the team at full strength, be needed at a moment and deliver. I think he's terrific. Uh, Braden is just a year older. He was already terrific. He was already an outstanding point guard in the league. He's just a year older, a little bit smarter from the experiences that he went through last year. Uh, I, he's he's probably a better shooter, uh, but I think I think Fletcher has gained strength. He's gained confidence, and he's gained that motivation of knowing look I, I, I'm the guy because I've been here, but the guy behind me can really play. uh so I've gotta I've gotta be at my best. and I think that's helped him a lot to to be the player he's been as a sophomore.
0: Yeah Miles Cohen came off against Michigan nine points in a hurry uh just uh nine points to seven minutes he can show so he can do that that's an excellent point that i hadn't really thought of that that whole motivation factor with Lan- and lance jones has been phenomenal that has made a big difference as well okay last question for you with scott or excuse me northwestern illinois on wednesday night the beauty of college basketball i don't know how much you got it we're able to see that game but just wow. what a, a great game and it ended up probably working best for Purdue because Northwestern wins that game and puts another loss in Illinois' ledger. But talk about just that and uh, and just the the, the the phenomenal, even Purdue in the court storming situations, it's still been great, great theater for the other team a lot of times, but talk about just the, the state of college basketball. And I thought one of the best games I've seen in a long time was, was Wednesday night, uh, our Northwestern's overtime win over Illinois.
2: It was a phenomenal game, Alan, just wonderful basketball. And, a game that might not have been played a year ago, I think, the, although I do believe the talent overall in college basketball is down, you see that reflected in the mock drafts, uh, that four of the first five are in, in uh, say, uh, USA Today's I looked at, the four of the first five were international or G League players. Uh, that's not great for college basketball uh, you want the best players to be in NCAA and most years they are this year it's just not as as elite but what college basketball's done and I don't I don't think it was because of that but the 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 change in the charge rule has made the game so much more attractive there's not there's all all that flopping is gone all that diving in front of driving players who who are totally committed to the drive. Uh, and you dive in at the last second and and then all of a sudden they're supposed to somehow stop their progress when they were clearly moving forward and clearly moving toward going into the air uh all of that's gone so guys can get to the rim now you see dunks you see layups uh you see action around the rim i think it i think the game itself is so much more attractive and all of that was on display in the in the uh, illinois northwestern game and it's a there's a bit of a rivalry there they've had a nice rivalry over the years not one of the best in the Big Ten but a one that pops up as a cool little rivalry uh and and that you saw some just terrific players uh, especially Boo Booy. uh yeah. what he brought down the stretch was amazing you know uh I had we had this thing on Big Ten Basketball and Beyond on Sunday where we did this uh guard draft who are the best guards in the Big Ten and it went back and forth and I got the first pick and I picked Boo. Uh, and then Raphael took uh, Jameer Young and, uh, and it went from there. And after Boo's performance, especially in overtime on Thursday night, I tweeted at Raphael. I said, I think I won the guard draft tonight. Yeah. And then he brought up, yeah, well, Jameer just made a buzzer. Yeah. Beat Iowa. So are you sure about that? I'm still sure. But yeah. <laughs> what Boo did, uh, against Illinois was phenomenal. the The ability to get to the rim, the ability to make the jump shots, uh, really entertaining. Marcus Damask, a great yeah. player. Uh, you know, I, I I I didn't ever really think Illinois was going to hang in the league race uh, to the to the extent that it'll be Purdue versus Wisconsin. I I always thought Illinois would be in the picture, but not in the in the in the uh, on the you know on the top two in the medal stand. That they might be the bronze kind of you yeah. know down a little bit toward the ground, uh, but uh, uh, I, I think that that game was also a good statement for what Illinois can do in a tough environment uh, against a team that is gets really hot. Uh, I thought Illinois guarded them well for the most part, but it was just hard to keep track of you know Ty Berry making all those threes and and Boo himself kind of defies almost every game plan when he's on. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Amazing basketball. A lot to talk about. Mike, thanks so much for your time. It's always insightful. You always bring something to the table that uh, I might not have pondered. uh, And I appreciate that so much. We'll look forward to seeing your work uh, that bracketology thing is a, is a head on a swivel moment every week for you. I get that. We appreciate that. Of course, your great work on, on BTN with, with, uh, some really great guys, Ray Davis, Bruce Weber, uh, the Purdue contingent, even Rob Hummel from time to time, a uh, pretty good co- company from the Purdue world, uh, that, uh, are fun to talk some basketball. So have a great rest of your week. Thanks so much for your time. And we'll be back for our next segment with Board of T- Trustees Chair Mike Berghoff, and uh, we'll talk a little about Purdue Sports and what the future may hold. Uh, that'd be another conversation for Mike down, Mike DeCorsi down the road. Where is all this going? But we'll get to that later. Take care, Mike. Thanks so much.
2: Segment three, and we're
0: joined by Mike Berghoff, uh, chair of the Purdue Board of Trustees, and we always appreciate that Mike is a busy man, that he takes some time to, you know, we, we could probably do a two-hour show on the future of college athletics and the role of, of higher ed and all that. That's We're going to try to drill that down a little bit today and maybe even talk about that uh, Purdue men's basketball team that uh, seems to be occupying our thought process a lot of late. Uh, Mike, thanks for your time and uh, always appreciate you uh, joining the show.
3: Yeah, I enjoy being on it.
0: All right, Mike, you know, you look at you look, let's talk some basketball here. I mean, obviously, Sunday, Purdue will take on Rutgers. We know that that can be a little bit has been a challenge for Purdue the last three games and guys make half court shots and things like that seem to happen there. You are you you were a, a student athlete at a high level. You've played at this. Uh, you've seen this. This seems to be everything indication with what Matt Painter has brought to the table. This is a different operation to produce, produce bringing a, based on how well they took care of business in Indiana, Iowa. Uh, you have to like what you see from Purdue so far.
3: Yeah, uh, it's just such an improved team. We were good last year. Yeah. But we our talent is pretty broad this year. We have lots of guys with minutes. We have, you know, the addition of Lance was big. We have another shooter. It's it helps kind of novices like me who don't really know how to study basketball strategy. But it's easy to understand now because we've seen teams collapse in on on Zach and uh, making it easy for us to pass it back out for the triple. And now we have three guys who can do that. And usually at least two of them, you know, are hitting their 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 uh, average. So it's big help. It's fun.
0: Yeah, it has been a lot of fun. We talked offline before we get started about just the interest in Mackey and, and how, you know, and, and we'll get into NIL and all that in a bit. But just why Mackey Arena now, it always has been a great place, even back when you were in school, it was a phenomenal place for basketball. It has raised even to another level where it is one of the top two or three places, if not the top place in the country, and that helps with retention, I think, of, of players and getting players here. But just talk about how how the university and athletics have positioned itself uh, and, and helped that cause to make it even extra special from your perspective.
3: Yeah, I would say a couple of things. One, we were gifted with uh, a structural design around arena that puts you right on top of the yeah. court. Um, the capacity is sufficient. Um, But it's not too big where you're you feel like, you know, you're too far removed. Um, Lots of great seats in there. And we've just made, you know, minor improvements over the last I guess it's almost 60 years now. Yeah. Uh, The other thing is we've we've not we've not compromised our relationship with our student body. Um, Some folks would have shrunk that down in order to uh, increase revenue. But there's such a large part of the atmosphere in there and uh, a factor in the success we have because, you know, they lift the team and rattle the opponent. Yeah. so, uh, you know, people have a hard time accepting people who've never been there have a hard time accepting. It's it's almost annual ranking at either the first or second or third, but it only takes one visit before you realize what's really special about the place.
0: Yeah, it's almost become uh, the it is has become I should say the Wrigley Field of college basketball where it is a destination for college basketball fans. It is a place you want to go to Cameron Indoor Stadium, you want to go to Fog Allen, you want to go to Mackey Arena. It seems to be pretty much the same from that standpoint. All right, you look now at uh, at uh, you know the challenges of this team, obviously. Uh, the the limit and this is another year with Matt Painter and and having to do a difficult thing and that is be able to put what's happened in the NCAA tournament even though they've had a lot of success kind of in its place and move to and move ahead to a, another great year talk about that just from a leadership perspective and what that takes from a, a leader to be able to do that uh, what seems to be very well so far in a team that's extremely focused on living in the moment it, it appears
3: yeah I think there's really there might be more than two ways to look at, look at this, but there's really only two. And if you're a student athlete, one of them is I think just captured perfectly by Zach's comment. We have some unfinished business to attend to. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: And I mean, if that's not a rallying cry for gutting out a 30 game season um, in order to get to the final four and win a national championship, I don't, I don't know what is it put goosebumps on, on me when he said that. And everything you see about this team seems to reflect that they've adopted that attitude. It's, 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 it, it, it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a marathon. Yeah. Not a, it's not a one game wonder, but just use every day, every game to improve and be ready, be ready for the tournament. And yeah. I think, I think these guys in this team have done an incredible job of, of dealing with the loss and focusing on this season
0: with Mike Berghoff, Chair of the Board of, Purdue Board of Trustees. When you look now at the, at the big picture of college athletics, and it's perplexing to anybody, I yeah. think, in terms of where all this heads, but also from where you sit, I mean, as on the Board of Trustees and trying to uh, keep Purdue's re- reputation, not only as an academic institution, but also keep it as a high-level athletic competitive a- environment. What keeps you? Uh, what keeps you focused and, and feeling confident on the future of all this, or is this just a time where you got to sit through and and see where where things uh, where things fall and how to deal with them?
3: Well, a f- couple of things. One, uh, you know, I took a deep breath as you started to describe <laughs> what was going on, and it's 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 just reflective of the challenge, right? Yeah. It's not something that we can easily control, like many other things that you're confronted with. Um. Secondly, we stay in this thing, in this, in, in this process, trying to influ- influence the process because we don't really believe you can be a comprehensive public, uh, one of the nation's most comprehensive public universities without strong athletics because strong athletics just sig- reinforce there's a commitment to excellence about everything we do, both academically and athletically. Uh, so that's that's the second thing. Um, third thing is, without our engagement, we're concerned that we're going to arrive at a solution that's not very good. And so we all can be very, very thankful that we have Mike Bobinski as our athletic director, one of the most senior, most respected ADs uh, in the country and helping by providing um, strategy assistance to our new commissioner during during all of the discussions we're having, both with with uh, Congress and other conferences, about how to how do we make the most uh, out of this, and how to how do we find the very best pathway for the Big Ten to continue to be a leading conference, but retain its commitment to student athletes. It's a challenge, but you know we'll get it done. Just not sure <laughs> what it's going to look like or how quickly.
0: Well, you know, in your in your business life, work life, and even in your board life, we are used to having solution A, solution B, solution C. Yeah. Probably one of those three. This is one of them that uh, is really, really challenging. I think from that perspective, is you, you don't know the end result, and you've got to have enough well-meaning folks and smart folks to and everybody invested in the right way to get this done. I mean, is it as simple as it we can all, all we being all of college athletics from administrators to at student athletes down the line, row, the, row the boat, so to speak in the same direction. Is that what it's going to take? Uh, yeah, or is it just, uh, uh, we, we'll see what it's going to take.
3: Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's quartered into segments. There's going to be a group who a group and, one quarter segment that uh, uh, is probably going to benefit more than the other two or three or four quarters. And we need to be in that first quarter. Yeah. Um, But it's a challenge. And I'm guessing if you asked, if you asked this mostly because there's so many moving parts, you know, you have, you have player, you have uh, player issues, you have compensation issues, you have conference issues, you have litigation Yeah, Uh, that's existing. um, And all this needs to be dealt with at the same time. If you ask all of the athletic directors, this might be the most challenging uh, period in college athletics ever.
0: I think I think that's a fair assessment. But Boy, it is a perplexing thing to to envision. What is it at the end of the tunnel? All right. Uh, you, You also obviously, as a chair of the board of trustees and your and your colleagues on the board, you're real. You're, you have many hats that you wear, but one of them is also to work very closely with the president. And and you have a a new one and a relatively new one, I should say, in Meng Cheng. Talk about his, you know, he's different. Everybody he's following a, a, a hard act to follow, in, in Mitch Daniels, but also his how how the board interacts with him with respect to athletics, and the and how that uh, uh, that marriage, so to speak, is working out so far.
3: Uh, we're very fortunate uh, in this transition, uh, especially in a lot of different ways, both Mung's uh, passion for Purdue and our mission for economic development and for excellence. I mean, you've heard his, his probably his yeah. biggest rallying cry is excellence at scale. <laughs> we're big and we have to be excellent. He also loves to win. It's very <laughs> competitive, uh, no matter what the project is. And and that includes sports. Yeah. Um, you know, He'll, he wants to crush people you know but <laughs> people, people say oh, we must crush them yeah you know, that says something we also had that we had that in Mitch who was a tr- terrific terrific competitor wanted to win all the time and uh sometimes couldn't bear to watch a game because yeah. he got so wound up about it and then you know he would get text messages and turn his phone off um so you know we have a, a real fan in athletics with Hmong and he knows what it takes what's required uh, to win it's not just a will you have to you have to provide them with the tools they need and we're very very fortunate uh, to have that and uh, we get along really well um, he's different yes yeah. you know he's uh, got a family which is awesome you know he has three three uh, children who are all living in Westwood with him. Uh, Augie is a huge sports fan, uh, uh, his, his son, the middle one. And, you know, they've traveled and went out to Hawaii. And uh, our, our fan base and our alumni like, like seeing that, and we're, we're glad he does. And then on the academic side, you know, he has his foot on the pedal. Uh, he's very proud of Purdue and wants to make sure that everybody else understands why. So he's a huge ambassador, travels all the time uh, to carry the message forward and help make Purdue, uh, you know, be viewed as one of the most consequential public uh, land-grant universities in the country. And we're lucky to have him.
0: Many members of the board, uh, if not all, are really in are very present in athletic events, Men's and women's uh, on a regular basis. I mean, you got Joanne Briette's as big a fan as you're right. ever going to find uh, on down the line. Uh, but talk it, it, it hasn't all. Even since your time, this is what 15th year now on the board. Thanks. Alignment alignment is is so challenging and yet important. I mean, you had you were able to get that uh, accomplished. I think w- with uh, I'm talking the president, the athletic director, the board. That's a tough, tough thing that's been able, but it has seems to be um, as much in concert as it's ever been uh, at this point. And and, and talk about because you've talked in the past about the importance of that. And not every school has that. And that can really, really make for a challenge if that doesn't happen.
3: Yeah, I I am really, really um, thankful that. We have alignment on how do you how you create a high performing team. And that includes uh, managing uh, reporting structures and organizational structures in a way that it allows the superstars that you hire to perform and do their job uh, without inappropriate interference, uh, but tons of support. And somehow we, you know, somehow we've managed to excel in this area. We are, I think we are very unique uh, in that you're right to bring that up uh, because Mike gets to do his job. Mung gets to do his job and and the board does our job and you weave it in a way. Oh, by the way, the coaches matter too, right? Yeah. So I'm not sure I have an answer for it, except we've had some governors who've made some really thoughtful appointments um, uh, to the board Because they care about Purdue more than they care about an appointment that might enrich their contributions uh, uh, in their political fundraising. So, you know, all the way from Mitch to Governor Pence to uh, Governor Holcomb, um, they've helped a lot in that way. And we can be proud of that. So I don't know. We have a formula that works and it's pretty rare.
0: All right, I mean, we have a couple more questions. One on that thirty-eight-year-old football coach you have in Ryan Walters, and, yeah. uh, and how you know head on a swivel world that he lives in. You know, you look at his situation, in every college, I think the college football is 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 probably uh, it, it is example A of the challenges ahead in the NIL transfer portal world. Talk about his skill set and you know his January right after an entire season. Uh, like you said, it's just craziness in terms of how, how to deal with that. But more from what you see him and how he internalizes that and how he seems to move forward uh, in this wonderful world of, of complete uh, instability in college football.
3: Yeah, what an assignment. Um, <laughs> I, I was in on the interview with Coach and was very impressed. He came uh, very prepared, uh, almost in a business CEO manner. He had an organizational chart laid out that was had, that, that included a couple of components that you wouldn't normally see uh, in a football operation. He had his targeted uh, assistant coaches ranked one, two, and sometimes three. If he could get the first one, great. If not, here's the second one, here's the third one. So he's very prepared, very thoughtful, very organized, but he also has a lot of passion and compassion for the game. He loves to play football. He loves football. And uh, it helps him with his recruiting because it's, it's really obvious. He's a younger guy. So he's closer to the, to the players than most coaches are, which helps a lot. Uh, And so is his staff. Uh, So from a football standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, that showed right away what we what we also had to consider, uh, but probably wasn't realized until recently, is how effective can he be in this new world of NIL? Used to be the head coach had to come be, be the strategist and the leader uh, and the recruiter. Now, they it's almost like their primary responsibility is fundraising. Yeah. And that's different. OK, well, he's really good at it because he can communicate a vision to donors and explain what's required to make this vision reality. And part of the reality is funding, funding for the NIL. And he's a good partner to have on, on the, uh, on the uh, uh, fundraising. We've done a number of these uh, together, Coach and I and others. David Neff, now our new CEO.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, Mike Bobinski has been involved. And so uh, we've, had, we've had a fair amount of success. Uh, it, was, it took us a little while to figure out. And uh, but we've had a fair amount of success, and coach has a lot to do with it.
0: That group of the Bullmaker Alliance, and of course, uh, we work with them a little bit on on, on a on right.
3: content perspective,
0: and, and it is truly a, another thing that uh, you have to have to manage, and yet separate from the university, so to speak, but so tied together. Where do you see the collective world going? Uh, do you think we'll have collectives five years from now? Or is that another one that you just don't know uh, how this world comes out? But it, looking at down the road, uh, the role of the collective and the role of the Boilermaker Alliance, uh, give me an evaluation of that.
3: Yeah, I, I'm hopeful that the solution uh, that uh, ends up being adopted addresses, addresses uh, student-athlete compensation you know, in a way that's uniform and doesn't doesn't require coaches to be fundraisers. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm hopeful that's that's what will happen. But until then, we have to compete. We have to raise funds. And that's just the reality. Uh, I think most people understand. I, I believe most people understand the commitment a student athlete makes. And, you know, their clock is almost totally absorbed uh, on the sports Um, uh, footprint facilities, location, they're there all the time and they really can't have a job. So that, you know, there is some need, there is a need for these student athletes to be compensated. We just need to figure out in a way that it's, that it's fair to the student athletes and it allows the colleges to be a viable lasting entity. Um, And so, but until then, the Boilermaker Alliance, we're all in. We're supporting them. We're encouraging our donors to donate. We're also encouraging them not to forget about Purdue University academics and the other pieces of it. And they've they've really responded. They get it. And most of them get it. (laughs) Not everybody. But I'm hoping this is this is a short term environment and we'll come up with a long term environment that makes better sense for the players and the universities.
0: All right. Last question is an impossible one, probably, but all right. You had Ohio, you had Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA to this league, and I and the Big Ten has got a great reputation. I mean, you both of us are, are graduates of a Big Ten school, and it's important to us. How do you keep? that level and and I understand the four schools that are at it are all AAU schools that you haven't mm-hmm. compromised your academic standing but is this still going to be again I'm going to ask you to to tell me Mike Berghoff at age 70 what is it going to look like then is it still going to be is the big Ten is the academic athletic tie how do you keep that in this world
3: yeah the, I I think the answer to that question comes out to the solution. Uh, that gets presented um, by uh, the the outcome um, of how do we balance out compensation to student athletes, the lawsuits that are uh, making their way through the courts, um, the review of of the different conferences. There's a lot of balls that are juggling. Yeah. I'm I'm hopeful that uh, folks like Purdue, who have been in the big, you know, who are in You know, one of the two probably most significant conferences um, end up on the winning side of this. Um, That's that's our plan, and that's what we want to have happen. But there are, I just don't see that there's any way that some some of the schools aren't aren't negatively impacted, and they're they're they're. uh, athletics is going to be a lot different than it's been before. And ours will too, but we want to, we want to end up with the right balance and the product offering that our fans can be excited about uh, supporting.
0: One quick follow-up negative. You think even in the big 10, that group of 18 will be, there'll be somebody that may be left out of the dance long-term, or are you talking about the big picture of all the, the 130 some power or division one football programs how do you yeah
3: i'm I'm thinking the uh the big 10 and um you know pick another conference not sure which one that is (laughs) will be um on the favorable side of the outcome because we are now really i mean if, if you look at it um uh and right now we're we're spending time making sure that happens, yeah, uh, because that's where we belong. But the um, the out the outcome is probably more difficult to predict than any other yeah. topic of issue or issue college athletics has ever had.
0: Yeah, fair fair, and that's a, that's kind of been a, the, the crux of our conversation is that there's. A lot of balls in the air, and uh, that will be interesting. Speaking of which, uh, board of trustees will meet next week. You've got a lot of that going on. Anything athletic wise on that you can share on the on the agenda or anything uh, hot button issues uh, as we bring this to a close?
3: No, nothing really uh, with athletics. Um, I'm working on the agenda right now. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) That's what the chair
0: does. (laughs) Yeah, I
3: need to. Make sure that <laughs> make sure we have something substantive to talk about next yeah. week. But uh no, our athletics, well, there are, you know, people are are asking questions about tickets. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so uh I think I have this close to true that the, the first round of the NCAA tickets, almost all of the participants in there end up uh with about a hundred tickets. Yeah. So that's not, you don't have enough. It's not very many. So I hope our fans understand that and, and, uh, and be patient because that's what we're up against. Yeah.
0: If all goes to plan Purdue will be playing in Indianapolis and maybe even in Detroit, Uh, there's still a few games left to play and things that can change, but uh, uh, that's the way it's uh, trending at this point. Mike, thanks so much for your time, especially all this extra time today. It's always enlightening. Uh, safe travels when you're heading up I-65 to West Line. Thanks to Mike Berghoff, Mike DeCourcy, and Brian Newbert for another stellar show. We appreciate them very much, and we'll look forward to next week as we head into that big Wisconsin game in Madison. We'll have another Saturday simulcast for you then uh, with some special guests. Thanks for watching. Thanks to the Purdue Union Club Hotel. And don't forget that you can subscribe to us on goldenblack.com and also make sure that you leave a positive comment on YouTube too uh, and and subscribe to us on YouTube as well. A lot of ability to subscribe to goldenblack.com and we hope that you do so. Have a great rest of your weekend all.